Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. If you are active on LinkedIn at all, more than just to look up the occasional job posting or repost something on behalf of your company, chances are you're probably very familiar with my guest today. I got to have a great conversation with Kelly Paxton. She is often known as the pink color crime lady. She even wrote the book on it, which is called Embezzlement, How to Detect, Prevent, and Investigate Pink Color Crime. I actually have it sitting here on my desk. It's a great book and I learned a lot. Uh, Even though Kelly's not necessarily on the e-commerce fraud prevention side, where it's fast-paced, we're basically playing whack-a-mole and hand-to-hand combat and trying to prevent bad actors from continually, often anonymous bad actors, from continually stealing from your online company. Kelly has worked in the investigation side, oftentimes with internal investigations within companies for embezzlement. She started out on the Border border Patrol and doing investigations there. She worked for Nike in their internal audit department. I hope that's right. And also just in addition to doing these investigations and helping small, medium, and large companies be able to identify when they may have an employee who is stealing from them, she also, and I can relate to this a lot, has fallen in love with speaking at events, with training other people, with helping educate them on what the warning signs are. If you have a bookkeeper who may be skimming off the top or writing themselves checks or all the different ways that those are doing. And even though it may seem like those are two completely different worlds, and in a lot of cases, there are differences. There are also a lot of similarities with people who are attracted to fraud in general, from the anti-fraud side, I should say. There's also a lot of similarities with the people who commit it, but that's a whole other (laughs) conversation. I've really found that in talking with Kelly, as well as a few other people who are more active in the ACFE, who are on the investigation side after the fraud happens, and they're looking often at one big case rather than um, a lot of little cases and looking for signs that way. I've noticed that there's a lot of similarities, right? A lot of us all have a strong sense of justice. We have this unquenchable curiosity. We love to learn. And those are qualities that we can all relate to. And on today's episode, Kelly and I tried something new, which was we tried to record an episode for both of our podcasts. So Kelly is also the host of the Great Women in Fraud podcast. I highly recommend it. It is not only about women in fraud. There's actually some great, what Kelly calls great dudes in fraud, uh, great men in fraud that she interviews as well. And really, it's just people talking about fraud. I know that she started it because she had so many people, women especially, asking her how to get started in the industry. 
And now two years later, it's really morphed into this really great podcast just with interesting people who are drawn to different parts of fraud and, and what they enjoy about it, what they've learned, what other people can learn from them. And Kelly always manages to ask a fun question and just has a style to the way she talks to people. So if you haven't checked out her podcast, I recommend that you do. And this was an opportunity for both of us to interview each other. So you might learn a little bit more about me, too. I'm not usually the subject of the conversations on this podcast. Some of the things we talked about were some of our most more memorable conversations on each of our podcasts. We both have a, I don't know what the word is, but an appreciation for how much pop culture and fraud have been intersecting over the last few years. Whether that is through just pop culture stories with a fraud angle or uh, docu-series, documentaries, etc. that have been out recently from The Tinder Swindler to Inventing Anna to The Dropout and many others. We talked about that a little bit. We also um, talked about why we're on LinkedIn so often and some of the unexpected benefits and opportunities we've received from that as well as our advice to other fraud fighters, even if you don't own your own business, especially if you don't why we want more fraud fighters to be using LinkedIn more and some of the easy ways you can get started if you're not if you're like I don't know what I would post about there's other things you can do there we also talked about some of our own favorite podcasts and books for fraud and personal professional development that might be of interest to a lot of you I know I get that question sometimes and I'm not always able to answer it we answered it there and then we ended with talking about what we're excited for in the rest of the year. And that's something that I hope that everybody thinks about. I don't always intentionally think about that, but I think it's good to have something to look forward to. And I appreciated Kelly asking that question. I did want to note that we did record this before the For the Fearless Female Fraud Fighter virtual retreat. You are now listening to this after the fact. However, we are going to have a monthly membership group spawn out of that virtual retreat that we just had. And I would love to have anyone who may be interested in that join it. This is something that I'm creating on the side in addition to everything else. It's not as organized as I would love for it to be, but it really is an opportunity for women in fraud to get to know each other and share best practices. It's not a it's not a bashing session. It's not anything for trying to figure out other than just how we can improve ourselves. Oftentimes we hold ourselves back, myself included, and it's just really good to be connected with each other. So anyway, that I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned that, that I think it comes up once or twice that it's coming up and just wanted to let you know that it already happened on May 5th, but that there will be more opportunities to get involved. So with that, I'm going to let you listen in on my fun conversation this week with Kelly Paxton. Kelly, I'm so glad that we're doing this, being able to talk with each other and have both of our listener groups get to hear our conversation. This is why I love technology and I wouldn't do fraud without technology and the fraudsters wouldn't do fraud without technology, would they? <laughs> no, no. And especially with my type of fraud, there would be no industry without technology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to that point, like I think a lot of my listeners already know who you are. Obviously, your listeners do. And as a lot of people know both of us, especially from LinkedIn, as well as you were on Fraudology 
in the early days, episode 24 in early 2021. But for those who may not know you and the type of fraud fighter you are, can you share a little bit about your career path and your passion around the fraud that you help detect and educate about? That's so funny that you asked that because I was just in Chicago this weekend and I took a picture of the Chicago Board of Trade because that's where my career actually started. And I say, I am the pink collar crime lady, but I don't commit it. I investigate it. But my career has always been about money. First, how people saved and invested, then how people stole, and now how people recover and move forward either after they've been a victim or they've done the crime. My career is kind of about money and the choices that people make. And it just happens to be the fraud on Main Street, embezzlement. Garden variety embezzlement is pink collar crime. Yeah. And then I don't know, I think we originally reached out because my sister has an online space and I had seen you on LinkedIn and I reached out and you guys in the audience, Carice was so incredibly kind and generous. Like I was just like, oh my gosh. And ever since then, we've been fast broad friends. Yes. <laughs> Say that three times fast. <laughs> I still, I don't know if I'm as good at keeping on top of my inbox these days as I was a few years ago, but I really try. <laughs> yeah. I was happy to do it. But yeah, a lot of what you're working on is after the crime is committed, you're entangling what happened as well as you do a lot of education to various groups all over the country on how to identify pink color crime, why people do it, like all of that. Yeah, because we could whack them all and catch the people one at a time, or we could try to be on the proactive side and teach people, these are what you need to look for. Because much like other professionals, if we come in after the fact, it's a lot more expensive. So, and Mm -hmm. I just prefer to help a greater group of people and the teaching and training. And now that we're back, I have my first in-person gig at the beginning of May, and I cannot wait to get back in person in my pink outfit. (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting. I did my first speaking opportunity in person actually last fall in New York and then again in March, but I have two more coming up May and June. So I think we're starting to get a little bit more into things, but there's different roles for us based off of what we enjoy doing. You and I both enjoy explaining things and talking about them and connecting people and being a support person like on the sidelines, but really doing everything we can to help people on the front lines. Whereas there's other people who are so good at the people management piece, or they're so good at the investment investigations piece or the auditing piece or the product management side on the e-commerce side or whatever it is. And I think that's not everyone could run around or speak at conferences, but not everyone can do the behind the scenes data analytics, but not everyone wants to. So it's important to find your niche within your fraud community, whatever that is. Yeah. And this goes to us, both of us being fraud connectors. Like you said, we love LinkedIn. You are a huge connector. And this is a shout out for F4 coming up this week, the fraud retreat that Carice puts on, and I'm going to attend in the morning. But that connecting, and this is something that we talk about a lot, Carice, is I think women are really good at it. Mm -hmm. I do think we're really good at it because we want to help. Yeah. I find that my empathy and my like intuition and that whole piece plays a really big part in it too. And there are men that are intuitive and and empathic as well. But I think it comes more naturally to a lot of us that are nurturers and the people connecting. And I know that's something that, yeah, it's probably more common with females in fraud. And it's 
more fulfilling for me anyway. I absolutely love it. I get so excited when I see people that I introduce to each other, interacting with each other on LinkedIn or talking with each other at a conference, even if I'm not at that conference and they're sending me pictures at 10 o'clock at night at a fun bar. And I'm like, thanks guys. But that just happened a week ago. So I'm not hurt. They were in Key West. I was like, really? At the Ritz Carlton of all things. And here I'm just having a in Seattle. But Yeah, I think that it's important for all of us to find what lights us up and what makes us excited. There's a book by a guy named Gay Hendricks, no relation to me, who talks about finding your zone of genius. And I feel like, oh, yeah, I I know that. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like for you and I, um, and I did this whole quadrant work at a retreat once, and I've actually created it and provided it for last year for the Fearless Female Frontfighter virtual retreat. Don't say that fast 10 times. And it's something that really can help you go, Oh, this is okay. Does this really light me up and get really excited? Or is it like I can do it and I might be better than other people. I think that's something that I think all of us should be doing is when you're doing something that it's just so cheesy. It's not, I'm not trying to say when you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life because it's still work, but you'll give your best self. And I think that's more important for employers and clients and all of that. And you know what? Careers change. Jobs change. There's no buggy web company anymore. Or if there is, it's, I don't know about it, maybe (laughs) an Amish country or something like that. But we need to be able, I never thought that I would get to speak and train people. I just, Mm -hmm. I never thought of it. I was, I said to some cousins this weekend, I'm an introvert. And they're like, what? And I was like, oh no, after I've hung out with you, I'm going home and I am not doing anything. Like we can help each other come out of that shell. And that's what I like to do. I asked Carice beforehand if she was a big Twitter follower and she's a <laughs> Twitter person and she's not. I'm a big Twitter person and we won't talk about Elon and all of that, but I want people to reach out. My career started because I picked up the phone and like I had a woman reach out two weeks ago who's in a small Northeastern state and I want to do what you do. How do you do it? And I said, first off, you got to reach out to this person because mm-hmm. geographically doing those sort of connections and like finding out that is what lights you up. I never thought it would be that way, but it is. And I love my hashtag Kelly fraud hashtag. I love my job. And <laughs> I love LinkedIn to be able to do this. Yeah. I'm with you on that too. As far as speaking of LinkedIn and all that, like what kind of advice do you have for people who want, I guess that's something that I think that we both have in common is our prolific in quotation marks, the use of LinkedIn. In part, I think we both started posting more because we're both independent business owners and wanted to get our names out there. But obviously we also enjoy starting and being part of the conversations, but I don't think enough people engage on the platform by providing like quality content and their perspectives in the comments, not just like a link to a webinar or a link to an article or something like that. If you put your own spin on it with a link to the article, that's a great idea. But what are some of your suggestions for why fraud fighters should use this, use this platform more? I know you've talked about building a brand. So what tips do you have for people who may want to dip their toe in the water? So I have a, a colleague who uses LinkedIn as his, and I'm emphasizing his billboard. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, I could sit there and say that I went to Chicago and I did X, Y, and Z for X company. That's not helpful. Now, if I said I went to Chicago and I met a colleague that I met originally on LinkedIn and we talked about ethics and investigations and compliance, and then I introduced her to someone else who I know they could connect or 
I went to Chicago and I didn't this time and did a presentation. That is different than I went to Chicago. I did a presentation. This question that I got asked or that was brought up is so important. And I want you guys to know this. So it's not a blinking billboard Mm -hmm. of what you or I have done. It's a white paper of, yeah, we did this, but you know what? This is what we got out of it. And I hope you get the same out of it. So that's why I like LinkedIn. And one of my hashtags is hashtag sharing is caring because we can't keep up with everything. We have to have billable time and travel time. And by LinkedIn, there are people I know that I will go if for some reason I haven't been able to scroll for a little bit. I'll just go to them because I know they always post really good content. Mm-hmm. And it's not about them. It's about maybe what they did, but how it helped someone or an organization or whatever like that. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to curate. We all know who is a billboard and who isn't. Well, so. and actually a way that you can curate and have the algorithm work for you in the homepage and be able to see the people that you want to interact with the most or that you want to stay in touch with. There's a few ways. One is reacting and commenting to their posts that will help LinkedIn know, oh, okay, we want to, sh- you want to see that their stuff again. You can also go to their profile and click the little bell to be reminded when their posts come up. And and also, I think to your point, providing value. Yes, I do post about the F4 retreat coming up or my weekly podcast episodes, but I try to make it about the topic, not just, oh, I have a podcast episode out there. So that if somebody is just reading the post and they don't have time to go listen to my podcast, they can at least get something of value. Yeah. And I, I try to do that. And I have had so many unexpected, I don't like the word blessings, but like unexpected blessings and opportunities coming out of just being more active on LinkedIn. Now, is it fairly awkward and uncomfortable when you're just walking through a conference and somebody you don't know is like, oh my gosh, I fully, it's so sweet. And I appreciate it. I'm certainly not saying to do it. It's just, I'm a fraud. You were both fraud nerds and nobody believes me, but the way I recharge is also by being by myself. I cannot recharge by being at conferences. I have to be back in my hotel room, you know, by a fairly decent hour. And oftentimes my favorite thing, especially when I used to work on conferences on the back end. So I'd be running around from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. I just go order room service and sit on the bed and watch like Real Housewives. That would just be the way I would check out for a while. But it's weird, but it's so great. And it's providing value, seeing something like, oh, I bet this would help somebody else. Or, oh, I heard about a job that's posted that maybe you might be interested in. Things like that. It helps you be top of mind, but you're not being, yeah, you're not using it as a billboard. It's you're not being self-serving. All of us, especially those of us that are in fraud, because we pay attention to the details so much more than most people. Oh, we can see right through intentions. I mean, that's our job is to look at a set of data and understand people's intentions. So especially on the e-commerce side, but I think also on the auditing side. So that's something I just thought that that was something we could both talk about because I want to see more people posting on it. I would love to see more women posting it. I just love to see more people providing more conversation to the space. There's a couple of people that just post headlines and articles, but they write a little two sentences about it. I appreciate that. I go to their pages sometimes when I'm like, oh, what am I going to talk about for my Thursday solo episode? You know, about fraud news. So I'm like, oh, what did, you know, Ryan post or what did Frank post or Marianne or whoever? Yeah. 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 I do podcast Tuesday. So one of the things, and you mentioned brand. Yeah. And I did a presentation for your brand as a CFE for the ACFEs Global last year. Hmm. And it's like content 
consistency and connections. And so Mm. every Tuesday I drop my podcast and hashtag podcast Tuesday, it introduces the person. It gives a little bit of blurb about what we talked about, but then it's also about what I'm reading or what I'm listening to. And I actually had a guest in the episode hasn't dropped yet. And we talked about this before we recorded, which is like, how do you have so much time to be able to read this stuff? And I was like, I consider it to be part of my job. Yeah. It's because I'm not boots on the ground like I used to be. So I'm, I need to read and consume content. And it's, there's a cross between academia and then real life and then giving it to businesses. It isn't the billboard and it's to be helpful. And I know people think like, maybe I never sleep. That's not true. I get a lot of sleep, but I walk a lot. I listen to podcasts a lot. Now that I'm back traveling, I'm reading books or listening to books on planes because I don't have an eight to five. Mm -hmm. I get to do this. And I love that I can share it. Oh my God. When I get a good new book, I, or listen to a good new podcast, people are like, God, she's crazy. I've said I have a new several podcast. books because of your suggestions. And we listen oh. to some of the same podcasts too. <laughs> some of them organically oh, yeah. and some because we've shared them with each other. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that, what are some of your favorite books and podcasts for people listening? Okay. And I think I got you on this pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott yes. Galloway. Mm-hmm. G. Good podcast. I love it. And with all the Elon Musk stuff coming out, it's amazing. But I love it because it's business. It's a little bit politics sometimes, but also they've got a personality that works. I think it works. Yeah. Like I used to listen to Kara a long time ago. Yeah. And me I too. Was like, and, but I love her sway now. Yep. Yeah. That kind of likes the back and forth. Like, so I do love pivot. And I will like, add it's I highly, I'm sure a lot of my listeners anyway, listen to Pivot because it's really a lot about the tech world. It's funny how many times they're talking about a specific company that I'm like, oh yeah. If they're talking about content moderation on social media, right? Like I know the people that are generally responsible for that. So sometimes I'll have a little bit more perspective than a lot of other people or other pieces of the puzzle. And so I really enjoy that, but it also is helpful for staying on top of just technology in general, because new business methods, new channels of commerce, et cetera, online, that impacts my, if not my job directly, the people that I support's job. So you're right. That's a good one. What else do you like to listen to? So I love Adam Grant and he's an organizational psychologist. And I actually just listened. I got it. I'm I'm pulling out my phone for this because I just listened and it's a futurist. And I want to say her name is Amy Webb. I'm pretty sure it's Amy Webb. We can maybe put it in the show notes. It was fascinating. Hmm. Oh my God. And it actually wasn't even him. It was someone else who did it. And it got me so excited about the future of things. And I'm not a blockchain or a Bitcoin sort of person or anything, but to hear it. And it was a couple of women. I was just like, oh, this is so incredibly exciting. So I really like Adam Grant because he looked at the workplace culture. And even though I don't work in a workplace, like regularly, I think it's really important to be aware of. So he's another like must listen to. And the investigation game with Leah Wietholter. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And there are so many, but people would be surprised at my podcast. And I want you to tell me some of your surprising ones. One, I was telling a friend the other day, cheesy as it sounds, I love Amy Porterfield. I love to hate her. Um, (laughs) You know what? She's the one who got me into podcasting a bit because she's so approachable, I think. And I hadn't thought of, I'd never been a marketer. I have to market 
my business. Mm-hmm. And so do you. And she has great guests and everything like that. So people, I think, would be surprised. Tim Ferriss, I kind of go back and forth. I think his stuff's a little long, but sometimes he has guests that are just amazing. And then this year, I am so into Michael Lewis of Liar's Poker and The Blind Side oh, and all yeah. of that. I'm really into his podcast, season two and season three. I think it's amazing. So I listen to podcasts all the time. Yeah, I do too. And mine change often. I I kind of have a healthy mix of personal development, entrepreneurship, cybercrime, and a little bit of pop culture. (laughs) So I have like a a pretty good mix of what I listen to. There's a lot of things that I subscribe to that I don't always listen to all the time, but I'll check in on on what it is. Some of the ones I've listened to recently or that I listen to regularly, one is Smashing Security. It's more on the cyber side. It's really funny. They have a similar banter. It's Carol Thoreau and Graham Cluley. I follow him on LinkedIn quite often and Carol Thoreau, um, they always have a guest. I would love to be a guest on their podcast sometime, but it's it's a giant one, but it's fun banter talking about cybersecurity, but also some cybercrime and financial, but like sometimes it's in my world. I also enjoy some of the stories on Darknet Diaries by Jack yes. Insider. Swindled is pretty good as well. I pick the episodes I listen to primarily because I am such an empath. I have a hard time with some of the true crime stuff. I, I'm fine with the financial fraud, but sometimes like other stuff I don't do well with. There's one that I've recently started listening to that I am actually in conversation with having the podcast host come on mine. And that is called We Were on a Break. Yes. So it's a play obviously on Friends, but also blockchain. It's Brent Steven. Oh my gosh. Why am I not? Yeah. But he has, it's a combination of blockchain stuff as well as other business stuff, getting into crypto compliance. So what Steven Brent Sargent is active on LinkedIn and he's really at the forefront of talking about this newer industry coming in, which is cryptocurrency investigations as well as compliance. So I'll handpick some of his episodes. And then another one that's interesting, if you are interested in crypto is scam economy. Now there is some unfair or unfair. I don't know. It depends. If you are pro crypto and you just love it, don't listen to this podcast. They pick apart like some of the, some of the companies that are offering NFTs and different cryptocurrencies, et cetera, that are scams and different levels of scams, different level of intentionalities. I've listened to a few of them and they've been very fascinating and a lot of in-depth information. And then I also listened to Brene Brown and, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Glennon, Glennon Doyle and the Marie Forleo, like the usuals, Heather Monaghan and listen to her podcast sometimes. So yeah, I try to stay. And again, I walk the dog too. I also, I had somebody at the MRC ask me, how do you find time to write on LinkedIn? And I just, I think I had a cocktail in my hand. So I think I was just like being flippant and I was like, oh, in the bathroom. And I was <laughs> totally kidding, but it got a fun look. And I think that was all I was going for. But I think that honestly, it doesn't take that much time. You can, I'm often multitasking when I'm doing it. I would like to get to the point where I'm writing them in advance. I really like to, sometimes I think you can tell when they're written in advance. And so I just try to be more authentic about that. But I always enjoy and appreciate when people put in their two cents or they ask a question, answer a question, they engage with it. Another reason why you should engage with people's content on LinkedIn is that's how you start getting on their radar. If you don't feel comfortable posting your own, you can at least start getting in the comments and people will start recognizing you and, oh yeah, you talk about this or, oh, you work at this company or whatever. And I can't remember if it was you or someone else, but I know a few people say it. You never want to be at a place where you need your network and you haven't built it yet. There's a guy that worked for a 
fairly well-known company for like 10 or 11 years and he worked his way up to a higher position. I met him at a conference several months ago, wanted to connect him to someone that lived in a city that I knew he'd really like. I sent the connection and everything. He never replied because he never was on LinkedIn. The next time he opened up LinkedIn was legitimately six months later. I think it was six or seven months later when he got laid off. And then he's, Hey, how can you help? And it's, and I was happy to help him. And I was like, Hey, remember the person I connected you to? That was 10 times harder for him than if he had put a little effort into it and gotten to know new people and and all that. I do. There are a lot of fake accounts and a lot of other garbage stuff. So I try to have, you can't take the fraud analyst out of the girl. So I do check and see how many connections they have, how many shared connections we have. I know. A lot of people look to see if I'm a connection with them. They take that as almost like I've said they're good. So I try to take that very seriously. And as well as a lot of the people in this as being a business owner or a podcaster, there's a lot of crazy com- business people that just my inbox can be a lesson in what not how not to sell the people to but i know that the company the fraud fighters listening to my on my channel anyway they they can too they can also write a master class on how many messages are in their inboxes from salespeople as well yeah Oh yeah. So I have a little LinkedIn hack and I think I've probably said it on my podcast before. This is like a, be able to remember how you connected with someone. So I never, unless I inadvertently fat finger it, hit connect. I always, I have a couple of text edits that I send, but like, say if someone comments on your post and I have a bunch of shared connections. I will say, hey, Sally, great comment on Carice's post. And then I have a text edit. We have many shared connections. I look forward to following you on LinkedIn. So then if I go back and I want to see Sally or I want to introduce Sally, I got connected to her from Carice because we have too many shared connections to know where that came from. Mm -hmm. And it's actually really helpful because you remember how, and then it is genuine. Like the text edits, those are just shortcuts. So it's like best Kelly Paxton being color crime, blah, blah, blah. But I want to know how and when I connected to them. And so So it's almost more for you than it is for them when you're sending that note. Yeah, but it's genuine. It's like, yeah, of you know, course it is. Yeah, but that's, um, yeah. yeah, I wish so, I had time to do that. I really do. I wish text that, edits are your friend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, text <laughs> edits are your friend. And I, yeah, definitely. So another thing, and we started on this, which I think this kind of the F4 female fraud fighters virtual unfortunately, someday in person. I hope like, so. What are you excited for the rest of this year? And I know that's coming up really soon, but what other things are you excited for? Mm. On a personal level, I'm excited to live in the same city as my daughter, which sounds ridiculous, but she's 17. And I don't know, I don't think a lot of my listeners know this, but she moved with her dad in December after some really hard stuff happened. And it was just time for her to get a new start. And he lives about a four hour drive away from Seattle. And that's where I'm originally from, but I've been in Seattle for 14 years and my my husband's in a position where his company is going fully remote. So we can now move out. And so in hopefully about a month or so, which looking around my house is terrifying, we'll be moving over there. And so that I'm looking forward to for this year. We also have a family trip planned that is going to be very well needed because we haven't had one in several years, like most people, and we'll be going to Maui. So that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. And we, we love going to Maui. So it's kind of like how the East coast, they 
often go to Bahamas or Puerto Rico or Jamaica, like West Coast goes to Maui. I've actually seen people I know from Seattle in Maui, which is weird at the same time, but more than once. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to in my personal life. In my professional life, I'm absolutely looking forward to the F4 virtual retreat. I'm also pulling the trigger on continuing that into a monthly membership, which I'm excited about. I'm trying to keep it as economical as possible, but just because I want to be able to provide some of my focus on it. But there's a lot of things that I've learned in my career that I wish I learned sooner. And I think we're, I'm at that time in my life and you can probably understand that too, or thinking about passing stuff down or legacy or whatever it is. But I've noticed a lot of commonalities in women that fight fraud specifically and how we hold ourselves back a lot with lack of confidence and other pieces. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think there's a lot of connections to fraud and why we do that and all the other stuff. So I really enjoy that. Last year was so successful and a lot of really good things came out of that on the individual level, as well as great friendships. So looking forward to that, as well as a few of the clients and and companies I work with. I really got to a point where I really love my clients and enjoy what I'm doing. It's not always the case when you work for yourself and you do your best, but sometimes you just got to take what you can get. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm excited about. I have some other programs and trainings and stuff I would like to release, but I always think I'm going to get them done sooner than I do. So I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How about you? So my word for the year, we're supposed to have a word for the year. I don't believe yes. that, but I did come to a word for the year and it's learn. Mm. And I'm, we're both nerd, frog nerd learners. I'm taking a storytelling class this summer. I just decided to do it because fraud is so much about the stories. And mm-hmm. I just was talking with this, you know, colleague about the fraud triangle and opportunity pressure and rationalization. And she's, yeah, I really like just, it's simple. There's a pentagram. And I said, I like threes. And like, the whole thing is the stories. People remember the stories. So I'm doing that this summer and then getting back on the road to do presentations. And it's all about reinvesting in my business because 2021, as many people know on my podcast, was the hardest year of my life. And I love my work. It's the thing that gets me up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so learning is my word for this year. And I'm really excited to do this storytelling. And I don't know if I should say this because it might like jinx it. I want to do a TEDx. Like I think there's also some truth to just putting it out into the universe. I don't think there's like that kind of thing. The goal. I think that's amazing. That's something that I've had on my list too, but I, I don't think I'm ready yet. Just for the style and the fact that you have to practice it all the time. I've talked to enough people that have done it that I don't think I'm disciplined enough right now or have enough time to focus on that. But I love that for you. And I think that would be really fulfilling and fun and something that that would be a huge accomplishment. I would love to be in the audience. That would be okay, like I'll let you know. 110%. Oh, you know. Yeah. 110%. Which also goes towards on Twitter, there is a handle. I don't know what the handle is, but it's about no mammals. And do you know what a mammal is? A, a mammal? I feel like no, this mammal. is a trick question. Oh, mammal. Sorry. Yes. I do know what a mammal is. I thought you said mammal. And I'm like, is that no. a trick question? Yes. My understanding of the word mammal is a panel of all men at a conference. And then there's whammals, which is all white men at conference. And (laughs) I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) Yeah. And I like retweet their stuff. I want to keep helping women, fraud fighters, especially getting out and speaking. And it's hard. Like my mom used to say, people pay you to speak. You're like a nerd in the corner with a book. And I'm like, yeah, because I have a topic that I love. Right. Ask me to talk about something else. And no, I am that 
person in the corner. And so I want to help people, women fraud fighters Mm -hmm. specifically, to throw their hat in the ring, like really throw the hat in the ring. And whatever it is to help you to throw your hat in the ring, I want this audience to do it because there's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of like, I don't need to. You've got this information. Let's share it. Mm -hmm. Don't hoard it. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that A bigger problem to that, and this is that is one of the things I try to encourage in F4 too, is whether it's speaking, whether it's writing a white paper, whether it's just going for a promotion or whatever that is. I think the stories we tell ourselves are very compelling. And sometimes we're just feeding on bad data because we're only taking in what we remember or we want to, but or subconsciously want to. But I think a lot of people in the speaking front, you're absolutely right that when you're not sharing your perspective, you're hoarding information information and stuff. I was in charge of recruiting speakers for conferences for the past 10 years, the MRC and then Cardinal Present. And oftentimes when I would reach out to a guy and I actually got inspired by this. So this is not meant as a bad thing or a bashing thing or anything. A lot of times they'd be like, absolutely. What's the topic? Like it just wouldn't cross their mind. But the majority of the time when I'd reach out to women, especially if they hadn't spoken before, but I knew they knew a lot about this topic or I knew they had a different perspective than other people in the industry, I would need to get on a phone call. I need to explain to them why I thought they knew what they knew and and why what they knew would be helpful to other people. And so I think that it's not just about, I truly believe, and I think you do too, that every person that's fought fraud, whether it's on the auditing side and the embezzlement side like you or the e-commerce and fintech side of fraud prevention on my end. I truly think everybody has a good perspective and things that people can learn from. Now, are there some people who talk about way too many topics that they know nothing about? Yes. But sometimes we need to channel our inner, insert that guy's name now to be able to do it ourselves. <laughs> because hey, if he can talk about that topic and you can tell either you can talk about a topic very well. <laughs> That's kind of well, the, the way I reverse is, engineer it. And you can take baby steps. So if you reach out, like maybe offer to be part of a panel, mm-hmm. if that makes you more mm-hmm. comfortable. So there's different ways to speak and to get the message to help our community. So like the first time when I was at U.S. Customs, like we put on the first ever Prime Bake Note conference Hmm. and I was horrified. But then I got asked to speak at a conference for a financial industry association, but it was a panel. I would have turned it down if it was because I was, I'm going to say I was young back then and I didn't know. So I was like, yeah, if you like be part of a panel, write a white paper, anything, or be on a podcast. Mm -hmm. If you're nervous, you can always edit it out and know where we are live, you guys. But baby steps. Yeah, Yeah. baby steps. 110%. I actually, there's a guy who works for a large company that his bosses wanted him to speak at a big conference this past year. And he's such an introvert and such a sweet person, but he knows so much. And he's actually created something within his company that I think every big company would love to learn because it's an internal solution. And so I've been working with him to plant the seed. His boss and I conspired against it when we were at the conference together. Hey, why don't you come on my podcast? That's It's just you and I talking on Zoom. We do that anyway. And I also have an email I need to send him today because I'm on the advisory board for FraudCon and they're doing their virtual conference with War Stories this year. And I mentioned the call for papers on an earlier episode, but 
this guy has a great stories to tell and they want war stories. And I was like, oh, it's 20 minutes. I can just ask him questions. We can do like a fireside chat. That's that's even easier than doing my podcast. So you're absolutely right that you can take baby steps. We're not, but I just, I always want to encourage more people. There's, I don't, nobody tapped me on the shoulder and maybe later, but nobody said, hey, you should go speak or you need to know or whatever. I dared myself and there's a whole unhealthy reason why I first spoke. I've gone through therapy. It's all good. But I was trying to prove someone in my past wrong that I was going to be successful. That's not the right, the healthiest reason to do it. But it propelled me. It was whatever got me on that stage. And once I did, I was like, this is so much fun. And it just because I'm on a stage does not mean I think I know everything. Nine times out of 10, I learned something at the conference just as my all the time or sometimes from the questions or sometimes from the audience. It doesn't mean that we're saying we know everything. It's meaning that we just like to share information and we hope that more people will too on any type of fraud. And this goes to the, the baby steps in the podcast is part of the reason that I listen to so many podcasts besides for the pure entertainment is it helps me with my questions when I have guests and the style. There are certain things that I like from certain hosts that I don't like from other hosts. And I see how they switch their program up. So again, it goes to, we're improving ourselves. This is a learning experience for us. And I think that's really important to see other points of view and other ways to do it because I've gotten a couple of compliments lately about my interview style. And it's just because I'm a voracious reader and podcast listener. And I, there's one podcast that I listen to and they stomp on top of their guests all the time. And I'm like, and I won't say what field it is legal. And it's no, don't. So again, it's like the continuous learning process. And that's why we do have so much content that we are consuming to help our community. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it helps. And I think that even for people that don't want to become full content creators or have a podcast or anything like that, there's always things you can learn that you can apply to what you're doing, whether that's by reading a book, by watching a TV show, listening to a podcast, whatever. There's always little things you can take from one area and put in the other. I try to listen as much as I speak and I try to learn as much as I teach. And I know that you do the same thing. And I think that's very important. Having that mindset of, I don't know everything, but I love to learn more. I think I coined this on a podcast. I think it was actually the last podcast I did because I was a co-host on another one before Phrenology, but I shared that I was just at a coffee shop one day and this guy started talking to me about stuff and turned out using cybersecurity. We had a, what my daughter used to call when she was younger, a chatting accident. And her mom is sometimes accident prone in that way. And he said something about how his goal in life is to be a learn it all. And I looked at him like, what? And he goes, I think that's the opposite of a know-it-all. And I like that. I want to be a learn it all. <laughs> it doesn't really sound the same, but it's, oh yeah. Um, so it's a good goal to have. So speaking of all of those things, I meant to ask you earlier, I would love to learn a little bit more about your podcast. What are some of your most, I listen to it here and there. Truthfully, I don't expect you to listen to mine all the time either. We both have so much going on and that we do, we are on in different worlds for the most part, but what are some of your most memorable conversations you've had on great women in fraud? 
One of the funniest one is all fraud leads to Florida. So that was a really funny one from a retired FBI agent who spent 12 years in Florida. Credit card fraud, same thing. Honestly, a lot of times there's a Florida and actually the in-person fraud from Atlanta to Miami is like that whole line is just like in-person credit card fraud up and down those highways. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I-95. Yep. Yep. So I've had professionals, I've had victims, I've had a perpetrator or at least one perpetrator. So the memorable conversations are like, I think they're very forthcoming and they just spit it out. And maybe that's the interview technique or whatever. But like the one thread that I think always comes through is curiosity. Like when I ask him, so what do you think you need to be a good fraud professional? If I like control F my transcripts, curiosity would pop up the most, I think. And it validated. So when my dad got, he got interviewed for my back, my first top secret background investigation, because I worked for him and he calls me up and people who know this, he goes, yeah, I told him you were always snoopy. I said, dad, it's curious. I'm always right. curious. It's saying you're cynical. I had a boss who said I was cynical. And I said, no, I'm not cynical. I am skeptical. I, I think we, when things don't make sense to us, we have to dig. So I love the digging and the not making sense to us. So yeah. Yeah. That applies to fraud investigations as a whole. There we all, I think there are some inherent traits within fraud fighters or fraud investigators or auditors or all that we all have. And it, it never ceases to, it doesn't amaze me anymore, but it just, I love it how you can meet someone else in fraud and you can become very fast friends because you know that you have so much in common, but you still have a different perspective. You still have a different background. You still have different, all those things. And that's why diversity is so important in our field, oh, because yeah. we need to have diversity of thought and diversity of experience. Otherwise, if you're a hammer, you're always going to see a nail. But I think we're inherently curious. We are skeptical. I like that more than cynical. We have an insane attention to detail. We care about the details. I think a lot of us or most of us, especially on my end, but I'm sure this is true for you too, have a strong interest in human behavior. I majored in sociology in college. I didn't finish college. My If my listeners have listened to every episode, they know that, but, but that was, and I like voraciously read through all the Malcolm Gladwell books and the Freakonomics books and super Freakonomics and all of that stuff. Like all those things just fascinate me. And I often joke that, and I think I said this on an interview once that sometimes my husband will see me watching reality television and he'll say, how can someone so smart watch something so dumb? And I'm like, first of all, that's why, because I need to turn off my brain. But second of all, there's a lot of commonalities between fraud and a reality TV or docu-series or documentaries, et cetera. All of those things I'm learning about human behavior. And it's fascinating to me. Why do people do the things they do? Why does, what's the overarching themes in our society that then, or the different pieces of society or the pressures within the culture that we're in, et cetera, that contribute to the decisions we make. That's fascinating to me. And you just said, why? And that's like a question. It's like peeling the onion. I can interview someone who has embezzled us. So why did you embezzle? I saw this check and I knew I could, well, why? And just keep asking that why. And then it turns out that maybe they have a sick child or maybe their parent is in a home or their husband left them or whatever, their spouse left them. Keep asking why, because at the end of the day, we're all people. Like, except for the narcissists out there, just don't even listen. We know you don't listen because you're too busy talking to yourself, thinking yourself is right. But like, just the the why is what fascinates me about fraud. It's like, why? If people were rational, I say this, 
If people were rational, no one would commit crime. But really, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Because they say it's so easy. Why wouldn't I commit crime? You go from rational to rationalize pretty quickly. Yeah, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's the why. We should just call this the why. <laughs> yeah. And that's absolutely true when you're looking at. So in the e-commerce world, we're looking at transactions before they're fulfilled, before items are shipped or travel confirmations are sent or whatever that is. And Asking why is equally as important as looking at all the data after the effect and looking at the books and looking at where the checks went and all of that. It's equally as important. And yeah, I think as a fraud fighter, you have to be willing to ask questions. You have to be okay with knowing you're never going to be, you're never going to know everything. I love that. I know you do too, as a learn it all. Obviously, the longer I'm in it and once I hit that magic 10,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell says, I felt like I got more comfortable and adaptive to answering questions and being a lot more on my feet and stuff like that. But I think that it's just the continual and your career path also lends to giving you unique perspectives too. So being intentional about where that next job is or what that next focus is. There was somebody I was talking with, and I again, I think this was a couple of years ago, but it's Kevin Lee. He works for SIFT now. He started the risk department at Square. He is also at Google and Facebook. And he said that Sheryl Sandberg, he was high enough up that he would go to all hands meetings and things like that at Facebook. And Sheryl Sandberg suggested to people that they treat their career like a playground. And I thought that was interesting advice. And her advice was, it's not that you're going to hop from different industries and you're not going to go from marketing to sales. Oh, you might go from marketing to sales, but like marketing to operations to fraud to customer service whatever that's not or engineering but more so within your industry go from the slide to the swings to the teeter-totter etc and what she meant by that was you know maybe you haven't managed people before get that skill maybe you haven't done product management before get that skill but it can all be within fraud or in your case interviewing or auditing or all of those different pieces accounting all those different pieces you can do all that and then it gives you different perspectives perspectives, which create more of the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. She may have put that in her book. I didn't read it, but I did. I did hear that from Kevin. And I thought that was interesting that a lot of people just end up doing the same thing all the time. But if you want to continually grow in this industry, I think it's important to switch your perspective every once in a while. On my side, it's going from the merchant side to the processor side, to the issuer side, to the or different verticals. If you were in retail, then you can go to travel and ticketing because digital delivery doesn't have just different things like that. What would be some examples of that in your side of fraud? I've done the prosecution side and the defense side. Right. And then there's the training side. Mm. So, yeah, it's just like prosecution, defense, training, products and want to focus more on the B2B just because Mm. that's where the money is for, not for me, but that's where the money is that the fraudsters are going to steal. So, right. I understand what you mean by that, but I'm not sure if all my listeners would understand. So what do you mean by prosecution and defense? So a lot of times when you're called in to investigate something, it's after somebody has been charged or before that? I've done it before they've been charged. Um, okay. As a federal agent, but then also working at the sheriff's office. But then also I've consulted with agencies that should we move forward on this case or should we not move forward on this case? But then also I've done, I've done the defense work too, because everyone deserves a defense. And yeah. it's as a certified fraud examiner, we're about the facts. I don't say guilt or it. We actually, it's not in our code to say they're guilty or they're innocent. Right. We just skip the trail and then, 
you know? Yeah, no, finishing up the podcast. I know yeah. that we both are talking about consuming content and I just finished, or I've got one episode left of We Crashed with Adam Newman. Oh yeah. And there is a podcast that goes along with it with Prof G, Scott Galloway, that is fascinating. And the reason I bring it up to you is, this is women talking about fraud, is comparing Adam Newman to Elizabeth hmm. Holmes didn't profit. She's going to prison and Adam Newman is now onto another venture. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that in that way, but that's interesting. Yeah. So you got to listen to We Crashed on Wondery with mm-hmm. Prof G and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And there's a whole thing about the difference between how Adam was treated and the difference between how Elizabeth was treated. And she didn't walk away with over a billion dollars. She basically really didn't profit. And I don't know as much about WeWork. It's funny because I actually know a couple of one person that was in fraud years ago that ended up being, I think, the CTO or CIO um, of WeWork for a short period of time. But that I don't know about it as much as I knew about when I watched Super Pumped and I knew so much about the Uber thing, which I did a solo episode a week or two ago about that. But because they actually talked a little bit about how much credit card fraud was impacting them, which that a lot of tech companies don't admit. But so going back to that, I don't know as much about WeWork. I would I'm looking forward to watching We Crashed. I think I can only get my husband to watch one kind of tech fraud focused docuseries, maybe in a certain time period. We have to cleanse our palate with something else. And I know he'd like to watch it, but with Elizabeth Holmes, there was never a product. However, with Adam Newman, I know the bare bones of the situation, but there were WeWork offices. There was a product. Now, did he overpromise and buy way too much real estate and spend way more of investor money than they would get back? Yes, but I guess I don't see exactly the straight line between the two of them because Elizabeth Holmes was saying something existed, a product existed that didn't and that was impossible. Whereas he was saying, we're going to get to X dollars, whatever. And that didn't happen. I mean, or is that something we all just have to watch the show and figure out? (laughs) Well, you need to listen to the podcast episode. I will. Because I think that there's some cultural things that were going on there. Right. Yeah. and, And gender. Oh, 110%. There was toxicity there, as is toxicity in a lot of tech companies, not just the ones that make the headlines, that's for sure. And especially gender bias and misogyny. And I used to think even as a woman that like sometimes when women said that, oh, there's gender bias, that it was a cop out. Like they just weren't that they weren't good enough. And that's silly, but I think that's a common thing until I reached a certain point. It's almost like an electric fence and you don't know it's there until you hit it. And I think that there are some things where you can really see it. But so, yeah, I guess I don't see, I don't see the comparison between the two because there was never a product for her and he at least had product delivered. There's a lot of other issues as far as the toxicity of the culture in both places. Well, then one other thing to think about also is basically women were the ones who stopped both of them. That stopped her because John Kerry stopped her. Right. But there was a woman that was very vocal about that this isn't going to work. And Jamie Dimon had a woman at his bank who was like, yeah, this is insane. So I just, I, I like that. Sometimes ex- we're the voice of reason. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. And Anne yeah. Hathaway is delightful and we crash. She steals the show. I have As heard Kara that. Says. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have heard that. Well, yeah. And that's something you and I both have in common as far as our, you've taught a course or a training class on pop culture and fraud. Is that right? 
we do fraud and pop culture. I do it on my own and I do it with a colleague too. And it's so much fun and there's so much content. Mm-hmm. So, cause Hollywood loves fraud and Hollywood loves money. So yeah. Yes. So it's really fun. Especially these days with the Tinder Swindler, yes. with Inventing Anna, with Bad Vegan, with, and, and even We Crashed and The Dropout and Super Pumped, which I just said, but then I brain blanked. They, even though they aren't, scam TV, as people are calling it. They've been so popular that I would imagine there was a couple that, and I talked about it earlier in the podcast, but they stole and then stored like tens of millions of dollars in Bitcoin and they were found out. And the woman was just bananas. Like she was a rapper for fun and not good at all. And just really had a crazy persona. And they were arrested on Friday by Monday. Netflix had bought their movie rights. So we're going to see more of it. So that's fun for us. But also, I really hope that by sharing these stories that people start to think, oh, I wonder they start second guessing rather than getting inspired to commit themselves. That's what we can hope. (laughs) What we should leave our audience with is that don't do it because Hollywood makes it look easy, but we see the long hanging fruit that gets caught all the time. I mean, honestly, I would love to see some fraud fighters write some screenplays or something and have it be a little bit more realistic. I get very frustrated sometimes because I'm like, clearly they didn't talk to anyone that understands how credit card fraud works or how embezzlement or whatever else. But yeah, well, Kelly, I had a lot of fun at this conversation. We knew we would. You can be found at Great Women in Fraud. I will make sure to put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and I can be found at Fraudology. And I believe I'm the only Carice, if not for sure, the only Carice Hendrick on LinkedIn. So easy to find. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. You're so welcome. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.